Welcome to Ephesus, Baptist Church, God's host, the place he's provided for us to come and worship and praise him. And I ask you, are you glad you're part of the family of God? Amen. Amen. Our text this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 33. One small verse, Acts chapter 4, Verse 33. And this is after Jesus has ascended, he has given the great commission, and the early church, the early New Testament church, is flourishing in Jerusalem. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. May God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and studying of his word. I truly believe that Ephesus Baptist Church, God's host, is on the path to becoming a great church. We have great attributes now, but I think that revival has begun. It is in progress, Yet it needs to continue and grow. God has accomplished great feats here at Ephesus, and yet there are greater blessings still to come. The mercy drops need to give way to the showers of blessing. You know, when I was thinking about the title of this sermon and thinking about the outline, I had Recall that we had talked about the Great Commission being our resolution, and then we talked last week about evangelism and how we can accomplish that. And I was reading an article, uh, really a sermon, uh, by a pastor down in Alabama that I found online, and he was talking about the attributes of a great church. And I wanted to discuss those with you Today, what is a great church? Well, you know, some people like a big church. Our daughter in Dallas, they have 5,000 attendees. They have two services of approximately 2,500 each service at 8.30 and 11 on Sundays. Some people like a small church. Uh, Before uh, I came here, I did some supply work over at Union Level, and they have about 20 18 or 20 on Sunday. They've increased their membership uh, since I was over there, but they are a small church in number. Some people like a country church and some people like a city church. And I've attended all and all types of church, and I'm glad that all types of churches are available. And you know, when I was thinking about a country church, I wondered what constituted a country church, and I did some research and I found a way that we can test whether whether a church is a country church. You might be a country church if the pastor says, I'd like Bubba to pray for us and five guys stand up, you know? (laughs) You might be a country church if one of the members says, I want to be buried in my pickup truck because there ain't no hole it ain't never got me out of. And you might be a country church if the opening of deer hunting season is an official church holiday. 
celebrated by everyone. You might be a country church if the church directory does not have last names in it. And you might be a country church if there's a special fundraising project for the septic tank to be installed. <laughs> and it might, you might be in a country church if people wonder when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the two fishes whether they were bass or catfish. So you think about those as you think about whether uh, it's a country church or a city church uh, when you uh, come in through the doors. But you know, the great church at Jerusalem is our God-given example of how to do it. These people were in touch with heaven. They had prayed to God and they had received their orders from God and he had given them the power to do what he wanted them to do and they delivered on it, and this pleased him immensely. And today, I'd like to briefly talk about six attributes of this early church that uh, made it one of the greatest churches the world has ever known. And these attributes need to be uh, adopted and acquired here at Ephesus. As I said, we are well on the way. We have many of these attributes, but listen to see if we can tr become a truly great church by following these attributes of the early church. The early church was given a great purpose. The purpose was to obey the Savior, Jesus Christ, and they did that. Obedience is always a vital link between receiving power and blessings from God. If we do not obey, how can we expect God to bless us and to give us the power to do what we need to do to serve him here? In obedience, these early Christians were to offer the gospel to everyone. They were to go to the uttermost corners of the earth and tell of Jesus' resurrection. They were to follow the Great Commission, as we've talked about. And after the Holy Spirit filled the apostles, Peter began to preach before a great crowd on the streets of Jerusalem to Jews of many, many nations. And his purpose was plain. His sermon was simple. He desired to help these people know that they could enter heaven and spend eternity with God. He was fulfilling God's purpose for the church. And I think we fulfill that purpose here. I think we are a praying church, and I think we are a great commission church. I think we do try to evangelize and witness to our community and to our county and wherever we are. The second attribute that the early church possessed was great preachers or teachers. Now, we may come up short on that uh, point here at Ephesus as far as the preaching goes, but Peter, of course, was the head of that first church, and he was an ordinary man. He was really not hailed as a great preacher or teacher. Yet the content of his message produced great preaching. Great preaching or teaching in the early church had a threefold characteristic. It exalted the Savior, it edified the saints, and it exposed sin. 
And these characteristics, if you look at them, are present in all of Peter's great messages. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would prove, would show to the world the sin that the people were committing and would reveal God's righteousness, righteousness to the world and such activity was exalting Christ. We have some great teachers in our midst and in our classes and I think we are well on the way to being, to having this attribute that the early church had. You know, the early church possessed great power. The power of Pentecost was the same power used at creation. It was the same power used to divide the Red Sea, the same power that saved Daniel in the lion's den, the same power that saved the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. This was the same power that turned the water to wine, healed healed multitudes, fed the 5,000, gave sight to the blind man, and raised Lazarus from the dead. And this great power is available to each and every Christian who will seek God and pay the price of following him. And this power depends on certain things. First, it depends upon a clean life. God will not fill a dirty vessel with his Holy Spirit power. We must be clean, and when we fall and when we sin, we must repent and ask for forgiveness, and God will give that forgiveness, and he will forget, and he will fill up our vessel with the Holy Spirit. And this cleanliness depends upon consistent living. You've heard it said before many, many times, God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And these fly-by-night, hot-and-cold types of Christianity, they do not have the power from God that we have. Great power depends upon continual asking, continual prayer. Jesus said in Luke 11, 11 through 13, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Consider David, King David. God used him greatly for good reason. David had a willing heart. You know, David, as we talked about in an earlier sermon last year, was a man after God's own heart. He was wise. He was wise enough to know when to take the throne. He was wise enough and had faith enough to know that he could defeat Goliath. He had the hands of the worker. Of the eight sons of his father, David was the one that was working. And this led God gave God an indication that he was more suited to be king than any of the others. When the Lord recruits his workers, surely these areas, the heart, the head, and the hand, are of major importance. Allowing the preaching to speak to your head and to your heart and to your hands. 
because God is looking for a clean heart, a clear head, and calloused hands. Allow the word of God to lead you into the work of God by prompting you to take action. A fourth attribute that the early church experienced was that they had experienced great persecution. It is sad that those who do the work of God upon this earth are persecuted. And how many of us have asked the question, either to ourselves in Bible study, to the Lord himself, why, almighty God, do you allow that to happen? If you are God and if you are almighty, why do you allow your children to be persecuted? Well, that's another subject for another sermon, but we know that Christians have always been persecuted. In John 16, 33, Jesus said to this, his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. The early Christians experienced many difficult times. Eleven of the twelve disciples experienced violent death. And when people today really make every effort to please God, there will be criticisms of them, there will be threats to them, as occurred in the early church. The blood of millions of Christian martyrs was shed and continues to be shed today. Now God may not ask us to give up our life for him today or while we're on this earth, but he does ask us to serve him. And that still involves paying a price. Remember, if you aren't being booed sometimes, then you're not even in the game. So if you don't receive criticism, if you don't receive remarks behind your back, then maybe you aren't being the Christian that you thought you were and that God wants you to be. Fifth, the church, early church in Jerusalem was composed of committed people. These people were willing to give up everything for Jesus. Peter left his fishing nets to follow him. James and John were willing to forsake their successful fishing businesses and become fishers of men. These men were willing to give up their wealth. Barnabas sold his house and placed his money on the offering table to be used for the work of God. Stephen was willing to lay down his life in the street and give up his soul to the Lord. When a blessing, what a blessing to look out over this congregation and to see so many who are committed and willing to take those steps necessary to carry out God's work here at this building and in this community. Those who go out day after day and witness for the Lord and who come to every time we have an event here and who are willing to serve. And the Lord appreciates that. And the Lord thanks us for that. The early church exhibited great praise for God. In spite of the persecutions, in spite of the beatings, the stonings, and the killings, they continued daily with glad and sincere hearts, praising God 
and enjoying the favor of all the people. As miracles occurred, such as the healing of the blind man at the gate of the temple, they wanted to praise God just as much as the healed man, and they joined in praising God with him. There should be great praise for God, for his goodness and for the gospel. You know, one shabby little lady with gray hair was in church and listening to the testimony of others as to the goodness of God. And she stood up and she said, I don't have much of this world. I am in bad health. I have two teeth, one at the top and one at the bottom. But praise the Lord, they meet when, they, when I close my mouth. So, <laughs> so we, need to, we need to be like this little old lady and have that attitude that there's always something for which to be thankful. And a good positive attitude of gratitude will be of great help in praising the Lord. And number seven, the early church received great promises from God. These people had a promise of heaven, and so do we. These people had a promise of eternal life, and so do we. These people had the promise that the Holy Spirit would come and fill them, and so do we. These people had a promise of true and genuine happiness, and so do we. There are hundreds upon hundreds of promises in the Bible for you and me, and they're theirs, they're ours if we but claim them. Surely, the need today is for us to analyze carefully the seven attributes that we've discussed this morning of that great early New Testament church in Jerusalem and apply them to our situation here at God's church at Ephesus so that we too will continue on the path of greatness and become a great church for the Lord. And if you would like to become a part of that effort, if you would like to become a member of this body of believers, we invite you to do that this morning. You come and offer yourself as a candidate for membership here and a candidate for baptism, or if you come from another church, you offer yourself as a candidate for membership by transfer of letter. But come and be a part of the praising and thanking of God through a community of effort, through a body of believers.